Welcome to Boston Confidential, Beantown's true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail and Fenway Park. There's a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the hub of the universe, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey everybody, welcome back to Boston Confidential. My name's Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator on the streets of Boston, and I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to contact me at Impact. If I can't help you personally, I'll certainly direct you to the right person or agency. All right, guys, let's get to it. This is our first episode of 2024. I'm currently recording on January 2nd, 2024. And I hope everybody had a great New Year's, stayed safe, and had a great time. I went totally crazy on New Year's Eve, out all night, hooping it up. And I was like a Viking back in my younger days, and it just brought me back. Pillage the village. That's how I did it. And New Year's Eve was no different. Just kidding. I was in bed at 11. I didn't even make the ball drop. So there's that. Guys, we got a great response to our update on the Karen Reed case. And as it stands today, Aiden Carney is still in, I believe it's the Dedham House of Correction. And He's awaiting a bail hearing. I think it was 10 days he had to wait. And so that should be coming up relatively shortly. Hopefully he gets out of there. I don't believe he deserves to stay in the clink for 90 days while everybody else walks in and out of that place, quite frankly. The Karen Reed case, man, it's crazy. And I asked you guys to email me in some cases that have similar components to it. And a couple of my regulars emailed in and they're in the same boat. I don't think it's ever happened before. It's the weirdest thing where people are starting a movement against what appears to be police corruption and corruption in the district attorney's office. And again, I don't know where the FBI is with this indictment. They had a grand jury. And the saying about grand juries is this, you could indict a ham sandwich. Well, they have more than a ham sandwich in this case, and I still haven't seen any indictments. And I was perusing the Boston Herald and came across Howie Carr's column, his year-end column. One of his predictions for 2024 is Karen Reed ends up with a not guilty, but he predicts no FBI, no federal government involvement in it. And I don't know if he's acting on information or gut feeling, but if you remember, I went over this with Aiden a few times. We're waiting for the FBI to act like white knights in this case. They are anything but. Sometimes I feel like we should do a review case about the FBI in Boston and today nationally. You know, spying on presidents, lying to the world's most secret court. Back in the early 60s, they bugged Martin Luther King's hotel room while he was with a woman and sent the tapes. This is Bobby Kennedy, by the way. Bobby Kennedy had the FBI record Martin Luther King with a woman 
sent the tapes to his wife. How about that? How do you like them apples? And then we all know what happened with Whitey Bulger, but it didn't start with Whitey Bulger. The FBI in Boston left men to rot on death row in Boston, Massachusetts, several of which died in prison. It was a death sentence for them. Joe Salvati, Louis Greco. Just Google those names, guy. Louis Greco was a war hero. Did he get mixed up in the rackets? Yeah, he did. Did he commit that murder of Eddie Deegan in Chelsea that the FBI set him up for? No, and the FBI knew it because their informant, Joe Barbosa, made that killing, you know, and the FBI knew it. It's almost laughable to think that the FBI in Boston is going to come and do the right thing. I realize there is a grand jury impaneled, but it seems to now be outside the time frame that a grand jury would have met, indicted, and started trial proceedings. I think it's just getting too late. If nothing else, the FBI is a political animal. I say it's worse than that, but at the best, it's a political animal. There is a democratic machine in Massachusetts that wields power. It just does. And I'm not talking Michael Morrissey, that he's dropping dimes and making calls to get this case to go away. I'm talking higher than that. I pray I'm proved wrong, but I know Karen Reed's defense team is preparing for trial, and I think that's the best bet. Also, guys, I've been getting a lot of emails on the Charlestown Code of Silence Armored Car Robbery series we did. We did a two-part series on it, if you're interested. and. There's a lot of former townies that tell me um, right on the button about how Charlestown is now and how it was back in the day. So I'm glad to hear that. But again, I don't think there's a lot of real townies left over there. All right, guys, let's get on to this week's episode. We have to jump back into the time machine to 2001. Very long time ago, although it doesn't seem that long ago to me. And specifically, it is October, October 8th, 2001. And this is the case, the tragic case of Karen Macchione out of Framingham, Massachusetts. And I had looked to do this story before because it is interesting. But man, I didn't realize the suspect in this case had such a deep record not of misdemeanors, but of violent felonies, in and out of prison, mostly jail, I guess. But, man, it's a tragic tale of street life. And, man, I guess I'll just tell you the story. So, in 2001, Karen Marchione, and I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, and if I'm not, send me an email, barry at bostonconfidential.net, but I think I am. Regardless, Karen Marchione was 41 in 2001, and she had led a hard life. There's no disputing that. She had an alcohol problem and a drug problem, and they were big problems. They were life-altering problems, and they turn out to be life-ending problems, as frequently happens in that world. Karen was a pretty woman, and she was on her second marriage. And 
I don't think they ever had it very easy, quite frankly. She was born in Waltham, and by this point in 2001, she had a 14-year-old daughter, Jennifer. And just before October 8th, 2001, Jennifer had picked some flowers for her mother and gave them to her. I believe it was sort of a birthday present, and Jennifer seems to remember this very fondly. It would also be the last time she saw her mother alive, unfortunately. So Karen had a substance abuse problem. I know I just mentioned that. She was trying to get sober, but as frequently happens, she had fits and starts, moments of sobriety, periods of non-sobriety, and I think the periods of non-sobriety were pretty severe. Alcohol, and I think the drug of choice was cocaine or crack, as heroin hadn't really taken over the drug scene by 2001. Shortly thereafter, it would. I could be wrong on the drug of choice, but I believe that to be accurate. So the Framingham police receive a call at about 11 a.m. on October 8th, 2001. It's about 11 a.m. The call comes in, and Karen Marchione is calling in. She had barricaded herself somewhat or locked herself in her bathroom and had been stabbed. She did get out her address. She did tell them that she was stabbed. Police were there within minutes, and she was still alive. But I don't think she could tell paramedics or EMTs or the cops who stabbed her. She was in dire straits. They flew her to Worcester, Worcester, Massachusetts, because of their trauma center. But she succumbed to her injuries. And it was a bloody scene. It was a vicious scene. Karen had been stabbed multiple times, slashed in the face. It was a bloodbath. It was also Karen's 41st birthday and her one-year wedding anniversary, believe it or not, to her husband, Steve Nelson. Now, Mr. Nelson was no prize himself, and obviously he was an immediate suspect. Both Mr. Nelson and Karen were known players on the drug scene in Framingham, Massachusetts, as users mostly, but that was the reputation, and they originally thought that Steve Nelson would have done this because everybody always turns their prying eyes to the husband. And in this case, it would have been logical because I believe he had been arrested five or six times for beating Karen for domestic violence. And guys, it's a mess with these drug cases because you have Steve Nelson, right, who had been arrested five or six times for beating her. And she hangs around with criminals because they're all involved in drugs, you know, and that's how it goes. And sometimes that inhibits the police from finding the murderer or whatever culprit of the crime they're looking to solve because they're all virtual criminals. I'm not saying Karen was. She was a drug abuser. But Steve Nelson and not the New England Patriots football player was the prime suspect. Problem was, they find out pretty quickly Steve had been arrested and was still in jail. And he had been arrested this last time for beating Karen. 
and he was still in the clink. So if nothing else, Steve has a rock solid alibi. And I think, to be quite frank, the police unravel the case pretty quickly. Everybody in Karen's orbit is a criminal to one degree or another, unfortunately. And I know people like this currently, I've known them through my life, where everybody in their circle is compromised through drug abuse, and drug abuse leads to criminal records. And that was the case here. Like I said, the police, you know, they know these players, and one of the players on the scene with Karen Marchione was a guy by the name of Aaron Sutton. This guy is a lifelong criminal and a blight. He's just a blight on the city of Framingham. Let me give you a little background on the city of Framingham. It's a working-class city in the Metro West section of Boston. It is, I don't know, 20-some-odd miles, I guess, from the city of Boston, Part of it is kind of upscale and the downtown area at that time, it was a booming downtown area, but it had its problems. It had its issues. It's a tough city. It still is today. It's a great location if you work in the city, easily commutable. There is a commuter rail station there and the Massachusetts Turnpike. It probably takes you about... 20 or so minutes to get into the city. In 2001, it was a good place to live. There wasn't a lot of problems. There was drugs, obviously, as there are in any city. But at that time, you wouldn't have shied away from Framingham. That's changed a little bit over the last few years, last decade or so. So one of the issues, I think, with the case, the crime scene, and it was a bloody one, is there was a lot of people in and out of Karen Marchione and Steve Nelson's apartment, and they weren't the cream of the crop. So you've got a host of criminals in and out, leaving whatever DNA, fingerprints, you know. So who do you point the finger at? Karen couldn't respond when they asked her who had stabbed her. She had lost a lot of blood. It was a bloody scene. And when I'm telling you that, guys, you're underestimating it. It was just brutal. This Aaron Sutton comes into play, but other people do as well. I don't know if there was any direct evidence against Sutton at the crime scene, but it was kind of like a known secret in the police department that that's who had committed this homicide. And they were trying to build a case, but again, they're hampered by the fact that everybody around them can be described as criminals and sometimes violent criminals. Steve Nelson was a violent guy. Aaron Sutton was a violent guy. As of today, guys, I can tell you, including Karen Marchione's homicide, Aaron Sutton has been around at least three homicides that I can count. One as a witness, in quotation marks, Karen Marchione's, and one I'm going to tell you about in 2021, where he beat a murder rap with his brother. His brother passed away, and I think he put 
all of that on him. But three homicides in this guy's orbit. How many murders have occurred in your network, in your orbit? Mine, zero, really, you know, directly. But Sutton seems to be around a lot of crime in Framingham. He was known to police. He was a violent bastard. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. In 1994, Sutton traveled to a housing project in Framingham in order to buy drugs. I believe it was a place called Beaver Park or near Beaver Park. But regardless, Aaron Sutton's there to buy drugs. He arrives there in a van with a guy by the name of Boone. Aaron can't find drugs, and he asks a guy by the name of Diaz, hey, do you know where this cat Lee is? I guess Lee was holding the drugs. And an argument between Boone and this guy Bradford breaks out. Bradford takes out a handgun and shoots Boone. Now, Boone is Aaron Sutton's friend and had basically driven him there to buy these drugs. And Aaron Sutton goes on to testify against Bradford. But during this trial, the defense attorney is adamant that Aaron Sutton was the shooter. Aaron Sutton committed this homicide. Bradford does, in fact, get indicted and convicted eventually. But Aaron Sutton, he testified up and down against this guy, Bradford. So I don't think this was his first brush with the law, but he became a rat pretty quickly, if you want to call it that. You know, you have one drug abuser shooting another drug abuser. It's still homicide, I get it. But that was the path Aaron Sutton was on. And he was a young man at that time. So that's 1994. So what, seven years later, 2001, that's when Karen Marchione is brutally killed at her home. Four years later, Aaron Sutton really tunes up his girlfriend. He ties her up with shoelaces, beats her about the head and face, puts a sock in her mouth, cuts her, cuts her with a knife. This guy likes knives. And then he's on the run. And the cops are looking for him. And in the newspaper reports, there's this guy, a Framingham cop, by the name of Lieutenant Alfano. He was no fan of Aaron Sutton's. He said he's a dangerous man. He is a prime suspect, not a suspect, in a previous homicide. He was talking about Karen Marchione's case, and detectives were out looking for him, and they would find him. He was ultimately arrested for that heinous crime with his girlfriend, but he does a short bid, you know. Prison is a revolving door in Massachusetts, and I don't know if people are aware, especially people from the Midwest and down South, how much it takes, how many crimes you have to commit to go to jail in Massachusetts. You have to hurt a lot of people a lot of times. So he does a minor bit on that, and then he's back on the street doing the same types of things. He'd later go on to be picked up for selling heroin. He must have graduated from crack to heroin, as 
most druggies did at a certain time in the, I don't know, early to mid 2000s. This thing with his girlfriend happened in 2005. He was 33 at that time. And at that point, he was a lifelong, a lifelong criminal, violent criminal. That would have been the opportunity. Kidnapping he gets charged with. Assault and battery, dangerous weapon. Why wasn't he doing 25 years? You pull that down in Florida, you're going down. You're going down for over 20 years. In Massachusetts, you'd be lucky to do five. So, guys, I'm going to put some case notes from the Bradford homicide where Aaron Sutton was the principal witness for the Commonwealth. I'm going to put those court documents in the show notes, and you can take a look at them. But there's a witness who says they saw Aaron, Aaron Sutton, running with a gun in his hand after they heard the shots fired. So I think the defense attorney was on the right track. But this guy Bradford goes down for the homicide, and Aaron strongly testifies against them. So there's one homicide, then Karen Marchione. And so the next one brings us up almost to current times. So the next victim on the hit parade is a guy by the name of Eric Hargett. And he lived in a communal housing, rooming house in Framingham. I don't know if he was involved in drugs, but maybe one of his roommates was. But everything involving Sutton revolves around drugs. And this time his brother was there as well. His brother was Eugene Sutton in 2021. He was 52. So he is the older brother. And they go to this rooming house, the Sutton brothers, to commit a robbery. They end up shooting Eric Hargett in the head and slashing him with a knife in the face. Now, who does that sound like? But they're seen running from the rooming house and pretty quickly. Aaron Sutton is apprehended, but Eugene Sutton flees to California and he dies in California before he can be apprehended. But they bring Aaron Sutton to trial on it and he ends up getting a not guilty. I don't have the details of that case before me, but I'd have to suspect he put all the blame on his brother. So imagine that he beats that murder rap and he was there and he ends up with a not guilty. I don't know how it happens, why it happens, but Massachusetts, right? That's why. So during the time frame in between the homicides, guys, Aaron Sutton in 2016 was also picked up for distribution of heroin in Framingham by a drug task force from the Framingham police. And, you know, there's a thousand police departments who participate, but they were doing a drug sweep and they saw Sutton selling heroin. That's a 10 year felony. If Sutton had served that 10 years in prison and he should have served every day of it with his criminal record, Eric Hargett would still be alive today, I would think. It's just one thing after another with this guy, Sutton, Aaron Sutton, man. He's just a crime wave. And I got to tell you, there's hundreds, if not thousands of people 
like Aaron Sutton, active today in Massachusetts, and we wait to pick up the pieces of their chaotic lives. So that first case I told you about in 1994, that guy Bradford goes down for a life sentence when Sutton was seen running from the scene with a gun. You know, if this was reversed, Karen Marchione would likely be alive. Eric Hagret. I mean, that's what happens when you don't incarcerate violent criminals. This is what happens. They continue to hurt people. And all these bleeding hearts out there, oh, he was just selling heroin because he's got a habit. That may be partially true. But this guy, Aaron Sutton, has been a blight on the community for years upon years upon years. And he's selling poison. And he's doing violence to people. And he's still out there today. The Framingham Police Department still lists the Marchione murder as being open and active. The only person I've seen listed in any documents or anything in the media is Aaron Sutton. Who would have been there with him? I don't know. Where was his brother at that time? I'd have to think at various times they were both in and out of the joint. You know, they're just frequent flyers and nobody puts a stop to them. Nobody. Why not hit them with a 10-year sentence, a 15-year sentence? At least people would be safe for the time being. This guy, Aaron Sutton, should come with a warning label. So when Karen Marchione was murdered, she had a 14-year-old daughter who was living with Karen's first husband and had been seemingly doing well. And I was tempted to reach out to her for an interview. But man, sometimes, guys, the story is just... It's so difficult. I, I don't want to put it on anybody. They may be trying to, you know, still heal from that trauma. And Jennifer, I'm sorry I didn't reach out to you, but I just didn't want to intrude on you. And it's hard for me sometimes to do that. Not as hard as what you've went through. But I, I realize that. But this guy is just like an urban terrorist selling heroin, kidnapping. His girlfriend, when he tied her up, he beat her badly, caught her face and neck. And man, he's just a brutal bastard. And he should have went down as a career criminal. You could, there's a charge, an actual charge in Massachusetts as a career criminal. He should have been hit with that years ago. So guys, as far as I can see, Aaron Sutton is still out on the streets of Framingham in that 2016 heroin distribution arrest. He's listed as homeless, so I'm going to put a, a photograph of Sutton in the show notes. So if you're ever in Framingham and you see this guy, you got to keep it moving. You got to keep it moving. Nothing good happens around Aaron Sutton. Stay away. Sutton's involvement in the Marchione murder is just alleged, and it's one of those things, you know. I think they know who did it. He's listed as a prime suspect, and nobody else is. So I think that's all I have for you on this one. I'll get on to the next one, and I'll see you on the flip side, all right? All right.